Welcome to the Inside Carolina Podcast. If it's Sunday morning, that means it is the day after podcast sponsored by Johnny T-Shirt, johnnytshirt.com. day after that means buck sanders and jason staples are joining me tommy ashley your host to lead us through carolina's big win over georgia state and keenan stadium on friday night of course like i mentioned earlier johnny t-shirt is our sponsor and the great friends of this crowd i'll talk about them a little bit later on buck i'll come to you first uh, carolina needed a get right game after a week ago at virginia tech did they get that with this win over georgia state yeah i would say they did and they didn't. I mean, there were some things that, uh, some boxes that they checked from the Virginia Tech game that I thought they needed to check. For example, uh, the receiver situation. Anton Green had the game that we hoped he had had, would have ever since he was a freshman. Um, it, some nice catches there by Green, a nice little breakout game by him. Emory Simpson, uh, Simmons also had a good game. That was nice to see. Uh, Josh Downs continues to amaze. Uh, so I think they got some answers at the receiver position. And Greg Barnes, shout out to him. He mentioned this in his uh, column following the game, which I thought was important. The uh, mentioning Coffrey Brown, uh, he. Uh, had that catch in the end zone, which they ruled an incompletion. It didn't really affect the game. But um, other than that, he also showed on a couple of different occasions, he's still the guy that can take the top off the defense. So uh, down the road, we're going to see more and more of uh, Mr. Brown and Sam Howe hooking up. He, he's going to be a little like his brother in, in a sense that, you know, remember Diami's first uh, several games. Uh, he would make some unbelievable catches uh, and then make some inexplicable drops. So that, that's all good news from the receiver uh, room. Uh, a pleasant surprise was a tight end room. I thought uh, Kamari Morales had a great game. Brian Nesbitt, was, his catch was certainly interesting. Uh, coming from Jacoby late in the game. Uh, nice catch and run by that young man. So several questions I think did get answered. Uh, they played a lot of guys, um, but they still got problems in both of the trenches. Um, the, the offense more than the defense, the defense, I thought overall looked pretty good, except they made a huge emphasis of getting more pressure on quarterbacks this off season. And, and that as yet has not happened. Um, uh, and the offensive line, I don't know what that's all about. Everybody expected it to be much better, and it's just not. It's not better. In fact, it doesn't look as good as it did last year, and uh, the running back situation probably is uh, exacerbating that to a great degree. So all in all, a mixed bag, uh, you know, is something when you can score 59 points and you're complaining about the outcome. Um the day after, but, uh, you know, that's the way we are, where we are with UNC football. 
uh, is that we could complain even though we win by a margin of six touchdowns. So uh, that's my kind of my quick thumbshell takeaway. I agree with that last point there. Um, sort of wanted to do the good, the bad, the ugly sort of on this podcast. I mean, we could be talking about going down and um, laying an egg down south like some teams around here are doing. But yeah, it could be you could have lost on a on a last second play uh, to an <laughs> FCS team. I mean, it's it's not saying that that that's happened, you know, in any. Well, we could have given up anymore. 70 to East Carolina. You yeah, know. I mean, it, it could be way worse, folks. It's good to have these kinds of complaints. <laughs> yeah, you, and my last could have been, you could have been the uh, second coming in the state of North Carolina and gone down to a little old Starkville baseball school and gotten wrecked. But, yeah, Carolina wins big, Jason. Uh, give me – and it's easy when you win by 42 points or whatever to pick out guys that stood out, but give me one maybe that people aren't paying attention to enough after the Georgia State game. I'll tell you mine, and Buck mentioned him, Kamari Morales. I thought he looked really good in his time, four catches, 42 yards, looked good after the catch and looked good blocking. But give me a guy, Jason. Well, I mean, a couple that that stood out to me uh, – would I'm actually probably the one that, that deserves it the most would be Morales because of the burst that he showed on there, there was that one particular little uh uh stick concept that he that he ran that Howell hit him on and all of a sudden he just turned and burst up field for another like 10 12 yards and I went different you had my curiosity but now you have my attention <laughs> right it was one of those like Hello, that's uh that's a little bit of a different level of um of of play from from that position just in terms of skill set. So he was a guy that I I would put there for sure. I also want to call out Bryson Nesbitt because of the uh the the way that I mean that looks like a dang tight end size guy running down the field and then making a guy miss going into the end zone. Another, you know, pretty decent talent that stood out to me there. And, and the other, the, another guy that, that stood out to me, even though, you know, I'm looking at the numbers here now, uh, didn't really have a whole lot of impact in terms of numbers on the field. I mean, two tackles, one solo tackle, one tackle for loss, but came in Rucker. I, I just like watching that guy play football. And I think there's, you know, he, he's going to continue to earn more time just because of how he plays and the kind of, and the, the kind of things that he brings to the table at that edge position. So those would be the three that would stick out to me, but I, I agree with you. Morales was the one that was like, all right, that, um, that guy might be a player. The uh, Garrett Walston comes back for a super senior season. Say that three times fast. And, and He's being pushed by those guys behind him. Buck, uh, let's stay with the offense. Now, we're going to talk about the ugly right now. And, and the offensive line, we talked briefly off air. Um, I don't necessarily want to look too far ahead on this show, but Carolina's got to get it figured out. Uh, you know, if you can't dominate Georgia State at the line and three, what, three and a half yards of carry, not counting Sam Howell, that's just not going to get it done on this level. Uh, how, first of all, two-part question. Sam Howell's rushing ability. He's really gotten a lot better there. 
um, trimmed up. But also, where's the rest of this running game that Carolina desperately needs to be able to compete successfully going forward? To be honest with you, and this is not the answer that anybody wants to hear, but I, I think that running game that North Carolina's waiting to show up may not get here until 2022. Um, with Mr. Hampton from your neck of the woods and hopefully Mr. Petaway, I, I just don't see nobody has yet flashed on this team um, that could make me uh, forget um, anybody that's ever run the ball for North Carolina, much less Javante and Michael Carter. Uh, now Chandler's had his moments. Uh, I think they probably missed DJ Jones some, uh, yesterday, last night. Um, but nobody has really flashed to me. Um, and, and I think the thing that, you know, uh, really came into focus last year as a term that we kept hearing more and more in connection with Javante Williams is contact balance. Um, that, that term, uh, came into sort of common usage last, last year, watching Javante play. And, and I'm not seeing that, um, uh, really with any of the running backs that, that North Carolina has put on the field this year. Uh, if they get hit, um, you know, it's not necessarily that they're going to go down, but they're not going to be able to maintain their momentum and, uh, be able to continue their run following that, that contact. Um, uh, so. Uh, I think it remains to be seen. I think it's up to somebody to seize that spot if it's going to happen in uh, 2021. But so far, I, I've not seen it. Jason, in that vein, somebody tweeted at me or said something to me maybe in the bowls a lot about um, this offensive line is showing how great Michael Carter and Javante Williams were. And I was, yes, but it's also a chicken and egg type deal. I mean – uh, great backs make average O-lines look really good and vice versa. Where is it with this Carolina team right now? With those guys gone, I'm probably ought to retire their names, you know, put their jerseys on the wall and stop talking about them. But the offensive line, the running backs, wh where's the balance here? Um, and where exactly is the cause for concern? Um, more so, which group uh, gets our ire in that regard? Yeah, I mean, I think it's tricky because when you're looking at at this sort of thing, I don't think that there's been – I mean, have they been great up front? No. But, I mean, I'm looking now at the uh, at the PFF grades for this, this particular game on the, uh, on the blocking front, right? So, you know, again, you have to kind of take these with a grain of salt. They're all in the 50s and 60s. So is that great? Not a bit, right? That's that's not outstanding for the run block grades. But it's, you know, it's it's livable in certain in certain respects. What uh, what I'm noticing is, again, going back to what uh, what Buck said, it really is the difference in in not just contact balance. I think that's a huge part of it but it's also vision and uh, 
the ability to make make your cuts without losing speed, different things like this. It's that whole package that running backs bring to the table. And when I when I'm looking at at the the numbers here, I mean, you, Ty Chandler's a good back, but yesterday, yards after contact, two point two zero. So yards per attempt, three point nine yards after contact, two point two zero. So I mean. 3.9, you'd like to see that a little higher in terms of yards per attempt. And, you know, you'd like to see that. What that means is he was getting contacted about uh, 1.5 yards beyond the line of scrimmage. You'd like to see that be about three, three or four. But you look at last year, Javante Williams and, uh, and Michael Carter, those numbers were silly in terms of, of after the after contact. Just on the season, uh, Javante Williams averaged 4.59 yards after contact. It's ridiculous. Right? I mean, you're looking at an extra two and a half, or an extra two plus yards of rushing output after contact. And so you're looking at, so that, that right there accounts for a lot of things. And then he was 7.4 yards total which means that he was getting hit right at around three yards beyond the line of scrimmage, which is what, which is what you hope for. So part of that is him setting up his blocks better. I mean, that's the thing. So it wasn't just contact balance with Javante. It's the vision where how many times would it, would it, would it be a situation where you'd see him get the ball and it just always seemed like there was a lot more space for him to run than even Carter, where it was like, you know, Carter is a great player made big plays in his, his contact balance and his ability to, to get yards after carry or yards after contact were massive. I mean, looking at his numbers here uh, last year, Michael Carter yards after contact 4.47. So in the same general ballpark in terms of yards, yards after contact. So, I mean, those two guys, those are, those are filthy numbers, but the other thing is being able to set up your blocks, understanding like, okay, I'm going to hit this seam and just hesitate just a little before I get there. Cause I see it starting to open and now, boom, now I'm through. That's one thing that I'm not seeing as much from this group. And it was my concern. I mean, if you go back to my preseason um, scouting reports, that was the thing that I, I flagged on, on Chandler and the other backs actually, but Chandler in particular as the real concern is, do you see the vision and contact balance, those two things to be able to, to win at that second level, to make that first guy miss or to, to get some yards after that initial contact, the way that the, that the last year's backs did. These are guys that are, that are big threats once they get in the open field to, to, run, to run away from guys, but they're not guys that have as much, uh, ability to get themselves in the open field as last year's guys. And so that's where you're seeing how special <laughs> those guys were. And, you know, I don't think it's a huge difference. I mean, it's about a yard, yard and a half difference so far this season in terms of how, how much uh, when, when backs are getting hit, but I don't think it's been a huge, huge difference in offensive line, uh, performance compared to last year. Now I had hoped 
that the offensive line would play better this year than they did last year. Cause there's a lot of talent on that line. I mean, there's, there's guys that can, that, that physically should be better, should be performing better than what I see out there, at least in my opinion. But we didn't see the, we haven't seen the improvement from, from that side that I was hoping for. And I think it's been basically the same overall level that we saw last year, but without the truly elite backs to, to, to make them look that much better. Indeed, there, I agree. Buck, last question on the offense. And again, we've talked about Antoine Green, Emory Simmons, Morales, uh, Nesbitt making plays. Uh, Josh Downs is just, you know, he's the guy every game, another eight catches yesterday. But, Buck, is it concerning at all uh, to see Sam Howell running as much as he's ha- either having to or being called on to do um, this season? Because Yes, it, it is. is. yes it is and uh you know also while uh looking at the game last night a a thought that struck me is that they've got um the best quarterback that they've had in ages uh running the ball frequently and and not always getting down um and sliding when he should i mean there was one time he's running the ball and people are jumping on the pile, trying to get him down, um, which was, a, a situation I would not like to see very often, but the thought struck me that not only that was happening, but they got Josh downs returning punts. And I'm thinking to myself, wait a sec, you know, if, you know, I remember back in the day when, uh, everybody had a, uh, conniption fit when. Uh, Gio Bernard was returning punts for North Carolina, uh, you know, when he was, uh, like leading the ACC in rushing or whatever. Um, and you got Sam Howell running the ball frequently and you got Josh Downs returning punts. I, I think I would change that up a little bit because those two guys are very, very valuable. Either one of them gets hurt and, uh, you know, it's, it's, uh, going to be a big blow to the season's chances. Um, they've got to find a way to run the ball without Sam taking off, uh, as often as he's done, uh, particularly against Georgia state. That's they, they've got to find another way to, uh, run the ball other than that. Um, so yeah, that, that's a simple answer to the question. You, you don't want your Heisman candidate, a guy that can throw for seven TDs in a single game out there trying to make 10 yards running the ball. Um, so that's where I come out with that. Yeah, I thought on his long run, he showed the best vision of the year, uh, as a running back on the touchdown he had there. Uh, I'm going to come back after the break. We're going to talk about the defense. Cause I do think there's a few things we need to mention there, but I'm going to talk about Johnny t-shirt and Johnny t-shirt.com at the moment. Great sponsor of, in, of inside Carolina. And they've got all your gear. I saw a lot of Johnny t-shirt gear at the ball game yesterday. Mm. And then the tailgate, they, uh, they know how to hook you up and get you stuff uh, that you can look, you know, you can carry the swag into the game or the fit, whatever the kids talk about it these days. Uh, So Johnny t-shirt and Johnny t-shirt.com. Of course, if you're an inside Carolina premium subscriber, you get 10% off your order and you love it. And I know it's early in the morning, but I'm going to talk about the latest sponsor of inside Carolina and that's blue shark vodka, Connor Barth and his boys, 
um, have made it available in all 100 counties. It's Ross Martin, Sean Drone host the Inside Carolina Post Game podcast, sponsored by Blue Shark, and you need to check them out out as well. Some good vodka. It's good stuff. It uh, it will get you in trouble if you imbibe too much, um, but it's certainly worth it. They've won all the awards, the Platinum Sip Awards and all that, 2020-21. Take care of Blue Shirt Vodka as they take care of us. Let National Guys pay the bills on the audio version. We'll be right back with the day after. Buck Sanders, Jason Staples, and I am Tommy Ashley. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, Buck, I'm going to start with you again here on the defense. It is the day after podcast. Johnny T-shirt, Blue Shark. Jimmy Seafood, they all look after Inside Carolina. Buck, what play on the defense made you perk up? And I've got one. It's pretty easy. Um, And it may not pay off as much this year as folks would like to see. Um, But give me your take on that side of the ball last night. Well, that's a pretty simple uh, question. I think even I can answer that. I think you're talking about Power Eccles interception. Yep. Uh, That's kind of a no-brainer. But before we get too deep into that, I, I forgive me for not mentioning this earlier, but I was listening, uh, to your, um, game plan podcast where you were moaning about, uh, me having branded you as the, uh, backup quarterback, <laughs> um, guy. And, and before we go on to the defense, I just like to say, I did play a hand in creating that narrative, <laughs> but, but Tommy furnished me with all the raw materials I needed to, to build that out, uh, for the enjoyment of our audience, but back to power Eccles, um, both, uh, power and raw, raw Dilworth are, are just, I'm so looking forward to seeing those guys play more and more, um, maybe more this year. And certainly, uh, in the years to come, they, both of them are exceptional players. Um, and, and, you know, I remember we used to give Bush Davis a lot of credit for the defensive lines that he built. Um, and, you know, thinking back to those, you know, Robert Quinn and Marvin Austin and all those guys certainly, uh, was a huge upgrade over what we had seen in previous years, but, uh, what, Mac Brown is doing at the linebacker position is close to what Butch was doing when he was bringing in Butch Carter and Quan Sturdivant and Zach Brown and that crew. Um, those guys could play and it's going to be exciting to watch them, um, over the next rest of this year and, uh, over the next two or three years. So, um, those guys can play and you could just tell it. I mean, they just, they just have it. You, um, you could tell when, um, a player like that, when they bite as puppies, they're going to continue to, to bite. So, uh, looking forward to those guys playing. That's a heck of an analogy there. I like that one. If a puppy bites you, 
he's going to grow up and still be biting you. Uh, Jason, how much uh, – Eugene assigned we, – well, let's, let me back up. We said that they would never rotate inside linebackers, and they haven't for two years, two years in a game. Well, well, it's not that we've said they never would. We want to clarify that. They but haven't. We, yeah, they haven't. And typically most teams don't. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll let you finish your question, but then. Well, you can expound on it because they did yesterday. Uh, Gimmel did not come out of the game, which doesn't need to. Uh, but Eugene Asante um, may have gotten a little bit of Max. The bench is a great motivator. I don't know if that was the plan. I don't know if that's what actually happened, but said Gray got a lot of run. Talk about it. I think it is a interesting development. Um, and folks love the shiny new nickel and power and rah-rah are certainly that. But um, when you are splitting reps there, that is different for this staff. Go ahead, Jason. Yeah, I, so I think just in general, again, the main thing is where you got your quarterback on defense, that guy's not going to come out of the come out of the game all that often, right? And so Gemmel he's still out there most of the game until the game was put away. Right. He, he came to the sideline uh, in the fourth quarter. The other backer can rotate more because you've got your quarterback out there. And the, the real question is because that, that position requires so much in terms of responsibility and all that, you can't afford to rotate that position when you've got some experience in there. And then you're looking at guys that are really young and, and aren't ready to, ready to rotate. So you think about this in terms of, again, going back to the quarterback kind of comparison. When you have the quarterback on defense, you, the, the bigger the gap, especially in knowledge between the quarterback on defense and his backup, the less often you're going to you know, give his backup a series or two. When you got true freshmen – backing up a guy, you're not going to see it. You're not going to see that when you've got a, a, a first or second round pick in there and the, and the guy, you know, behind him is not a first or second round pick type player, then you're going to leave the first round pick out there longer. So, you know, and it's a position that traditionally you just don't rotate that much just because it's not a, it's not an, ex, it's not a huge exhaustion position for the most part. And it's a, uh, cause you're playing in space. Uh, and it's a, uh, it's a position where there's a lot of responsibility, but if you've got young guys that are actually more talented or guys that are, that are triggering faster or doing their jobs better than the veteran, then you do start rotating because you either need, you either use that, that, um, the, the seat next to me is just fine as motivation, or maybe, you know, the, the young guy actually starts to earn that job. So the narrower the gap gets, the more you, you start to look at that. But again, once you start rotating that position, if you don't have a guy, if, if you're not sure that, that the guy that's coming in can handle the quarterback kind of responsibilities there, you have to make sure that, you know, you, you've got somebody out there that can handle those responsibilities. So I think it's as simple as that. Good take there. I, you know, Gimmel, I, I've got no problem with him playing every snap of the season if he's blessed to be healthy enough to do it. But looking across the snap counts that Ben Sherman posted earlier this morning, this is what I like to see. Uh, defensive line, 28 snaps total um, for Vahasic, Murphy, and then you got Javari Ritzy at 26. Hester, a guy y'all have talked about a lot. 
Clyde Pender got a little bit more and they've worked it on down. Uh, and Cayman Rucker goes from how many snaps did he have against Virginia Tech? What many? Six or three? Like a handful and he goes yeah. to 30. I, I just think this is what sort of gets me excited looking at it. And I'm, you know, I, I always hate when people are already talking about the future. Um, you know, especially in recruiting, everybody's worried about who's signing next week when you got guys that signed last week that are on the team and all that. But looking at this defense, Buck, do you see um, sort of a a trend starting or is it way too early to think about that where they're getting these young guys in and by two weeks, three weeks, Duke game, uh, that they're more and more involved and more heavy in the rotation? I think it's possible we'll see some of that, but a lot of what's responsible for those snap counts is it, it was Georgia state. Mm-hmm. Um, so, um, you know, in, in the fourth quarter, you're not going to see a lot of the Hasek or Tamari Fox or those guys, or even guys like miles Murphy who had a whale of a game, by the way, um, miles Murphy is a dude, just mark that down. Um, so it was Georgia State. I think we'll see um, heavier uh, reps for some of the bigger names uh, against other teams that you know are where the outcome is in doubt uh, for a lot longer than this one was. Um, so, but it's good to see at least in this one game, um, and we'll probably see more. Yeah, I'm like Jason. I love Cayman Rucker's game. I mean, uh, as many times this past week as I heard Tommy and uh, Gregory Hall and, and other guys say, you know, see ball, hit ball, th- that, that's his game. You know, he, he's just going to get off the line and go find the ball. I mean, um, that, and I really like his game. Like he's Jason. a football player. That's the thing. Yeah. Some guys are defensive ends. Some guys are linebackers. Some guys are nose tackles or wide receivers or whatever. And then you got guys that are just football players. And Rucker is a football player. <laughs> yeah, he's he going to find something to do and yeah. he's going to do it well. Yeah. He's going to be doing some work out there, regardless of what, where he's lined up at. So, uh, yeah, I, I do think we'll, we're going to see certainly more, um, the snap counts more spread out this year than we've seen in previous years under Jay Bateman. Uh, but it's not going to be like the Georgia state game, game in and game out. Valid there. Let's, let's look ahead briefly. Um, I don't, we'll talk about the Virginia game, uh, Saturday night in Keenan stadium coming up plenty this week. Uh, but Jason looking ahead, uh, this is, I think, we know how we picked it. We definitely know how I picked it. Um, and now I have very big cause for concern about my picking acumen, but Virginia is the game that we said, maybe we would know what Carolina was. Um, and it's less than a week away here. What needs to happen in this week of practice for these guys to, uh, be prepared for a Virginia team that's had Carolina's number owns Mac Brown. Got to be honest. Virginia owns Mac Brown. Um, how does that change Saturday going into correction day to day on Sunday and then working through the week, getting prepared for the Cavaliers? Yeah. I mean, the biggest thing, Virginia looks scary against 
Illinois yesterday because of all the Virginia things they did. <laughs> so you, you have to be ready for a war in the trenches. That's a physical team. And you're going to have to win up front to win that game. They were able to run on Illinois with the combination of that physicality and all the weird stuff they do offensively. I mean, they, they, they manufacture the run as well as anybody. And you're going to have to win up front. You're going to have to make sure that everything is clean in terms of gap soundness and go from there. So, you know, heal up is, the, is, is, is a big priority today, is make sure you're ready for the war. The other thing is during the week, defensively, this is a big task because they've got a quarterback that can throw. They've got some guys that can run on the outside. And then they do as much with formation and motion and all sorts of weird things to get you in situations where a guy's out of a gap or they're going to flank you, do all sorts of things to make you defend the whole field in the running game. This is one of those weeks where, yeah, I know there's a 20-hour limit you know, technically on, on NCAA during practice and all that, but you're asking your guys to spend extra time making sure that they're prepared for all the formation stuff that they're going to see. Are you prepared to line up and know versus this formation where they've got three tight ends to one side of the, of the formation and their motion in the other direction, who's got what gap, who's eligible. And you got to make that decision in three or four seconds and everybody has to be on the same page. That's the stuff they're asking you to do. And you've got to be prepared to do that defensively. That's the biggest concern for me offensively. I mean, it really boils down to the same stuff we've been talking about. I mean, are you going to get the outside playmakers to make plays? I mean, Choffrey Brown looked like he's got, he's got more to offer there, but once again, just a, a painful drop that would have been a walk-in touchdown for him. You know, you're going to catch the ball. You're going to win those contested catches on the outside. And are you going to get running backs that, can, that, that break tackles when they get that opportunity? That's that game's going to come down offensively. So, I mean, it's not a matter of preparing or getting better in, in, in those respects. It's a matter of just, well, I mean, it is getting better, but, you know, do the, do the fundamentals all week to make sure that you're in position to win those matchups once those come. But defensively, this is a, this is a week where you're going to have to study and be really mentally sharp. And it's a big load to put on that, on that defense. Yeah. They need to get healthy or, yeah, I think they probably had some injuries against Georgia state that might be detrimental, but Buck, I'll let you close it. I know I asked you about Virginia off the air. Um, and I see your point, but this one is, uh, th this one's going to be tough for the Tar Heels. What sayeth you heading into the week of preparation? You know, I think it's my uh, lot in life to always underestimate Virginia uh, <laughs> in, in general. But um, in this situation, I think people are, have gotten a little, um, their nerves are, are beginning to fray when, when they see Virginia as uh, some sort of powerhouse coming into to, uh, Keenan Stadium. Yes, they have beaten North Carolina four in a row. One of those years was 2017 when uh, the Northeast Raleigh School of Trucking and Cement Work could have beaten North Carolina. Um, 
and the 2019 that was Bryce Perkins game. Uh, so, you know, the, the, there's a lot to pick apart here and, and, you know, there's going to be people that are going to call me crazy for saying stuff like this, but Virginia's played William and Mary. And I think they left William at home for that game. And, uh, They've played Illinois, who was beaten by University of Texas School of Sheet Metal Work uh, in San Antonio. So they've, they have really played two of the worst uh, uh, teams in college football. And, and Illinois did beat Nebraska, but that counts for nothing these days. So I, I think the reputation that Virginia is bringing into Keenan Stadium next week is of some sort of uh, – magical powerhouse from Charlottesville that's going to come down and yet again, take care of business, uh, uh, against, uh, North Carolina, maybe, you know, I could be wrong. Uh, the SP plus I think favors by North Carolina by three touchdowns. I think North Carolina will clearly be favored in this game, notwithstanding the huge victory of, uh, Virginia over powerhouse, Big Ten cellar dweller, Illinois. Um, but uh, we'll see. You know, I, I could be totally off base. Great thing about it is they'll play the game Saturday night in Keenan Stadium. Uh, of course, Inside Carolina will be here all week. We got us. You got VIP with Ingersoll and EJ. You got uh, On the Beat Live Tuesday night, 9 o'clock. Um, you've got The Scoop. You've got Coast to Coast Podcast and also – and we closed the podcast week with the game plan with Jason Staples, Greg Barnes, and myself. And I'm sure we'll make a prediction. Um, I know where Greg stands on the Virginia game. He's got his uh, st- his flag planted in the preseason. I could change mine. I don't know. I don't know if I'll be consistently or consistently bad, but it's been the day after. Carolina, big win over Georgia State. A lot of good things, few bad things. Moving on to Virginia next week. Jason Staples, Buck Sanders, appreciate you joining me. Thanks, Tommy. Enjoy Thanks, the station. What's up, y'all? This is four-time NBA champ Andre Iguodala. Yo, and this is his best friend, the Ohio State legend, Evan Marcel Turner the first. Every Wednesday, we drop a new episode on our show, Point Four. We're talking basketball, business, and all the culture in between. From locker room stories to some basketball analysis from those who've been in the game. Now, it is a do-bet. Do average 29 and 11. God, what it take to be an all-star? A win. Subscribe to Point Forward, the podcast, so you don't miss a thing.